Kings Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me today, I love it. We're going to start talking coaches. And with all this coaching search and everything else, we're going to start with a guy that I really like, and Nate McMillan. And in order to get some insight on Nate McMillan. We're going to go to one of our CSN brothers up in the Northwest, Mr. Jason Quick. Jason, how's it going? It's going great, James. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for coming on. I guess this is a little different for you because you don't have to talk about what's actually happening right now as your team is trudging through the playoffs. Just a little different, right? Yeah, a little different, but I always enjoy talking about, uh, about Nate. Yeah, he seems like an interesting candidate for a head coaching job. He's a guy who's taken a couple of years off from the game. Well, he took a year off, and then he jumped back in with the uh, Indiana Pacers. But you've written some incredible things about him in the past. You had the first interview with him after he was let go. Uh, You've had time to kind of reflect back, and you wrote a really nice piece in 2013 when he came back through as an assistant with Indiana. What are your general thoughts on just – who he is as a person and what he brings to the table for an NBA head coach. Well, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Nate McMillan. Uh, just in covering him, you see how much he cares and he put a ton of time and effort into coaching the Blazers. I mean, he was prepared through film study. He was uh, put a lot of effort into communicating with his players uh and i i just think in today's nba coaching world there's not a lot of guys who would outwork him and uh, i think that's one of the the biggest benefits of of a nate mcmillan staff is is they were pretty much prepared and uh put the work in okay when you look at him as a as a floor general um, he's a guy who, of course, played for the Sonics for years as a point guard. He worked under George Carl uh, there in, in Seattle. But he brings a, an attitude and a personality that I think, it, you're right, is kind of missing in some of today's coaching world. Is it still, does it still translate? Does the, uh, the Sarge mentality still translate to today's player? Yeah, I don't know. And, you know, that's an interesting thing. I, I don't know how Nate would perceive himself as a coach. I, I think it's easy to pigeonhole people in the NBA. And when he came to Portland, this organization needed a disciplinarian. They needed someone strict and to be kind of uh, have that military outlook. I'm not so sure that's necessarily Nate uh, in, a, in a total package. I think like I said, they needed that at that time. I, I think he probably sees himself as a little more evolved than that. And I think that's why he hasn't taken or, or why it's taken him time to get another head coaching job. I think he wants 
just in my conversations with him over the years, he wants it to be the right situation. He doesn't, I, I don't think he wants to be viewed as a, a guy to bring an up and coming team or to pr- provide uh, stability to, uh, to an organization. I think he wants an opportunity to win and to win now. And, you know, again, I think he, he has that reputation as a guy who will come in and instill discipline and be strict. And I, I think he views himself as something much more than that. So is he a guy, I mean, it, it sounds like he might not be a good fit for Sacramento because they are a team that, I don't know, they need discipline, they need structure, they need a cultural change. Is he a guy that can provide cultural change, or is he more of a guy that you think would come in to lead a team to the next level type coach? I think he could. Uh, There's no question he can provide a cultural change. I mean, it happened in Portland. You know, when he took over, the the Blazers were a mess. They were the jailblazers. They had, you know, Zach Randolph, Darius Miles, uh, all kinds of off-the-court issues, and, and they cleaned that up real quick. And part of it was just, you know, they started drafting some quality young men like Aldridge and Brandon Roy, Martel Webster, but a lot of it was the structure put in place by Nate and kind of establishing a culture of accountability, uh, hard work, um, and being community-oriented. I mean, Nate was beloved in in the community. Uh, people really respected him here. Now, you know, towards the end, I, I think, and Nate has admitted this, sometimes his style can wear on a team and he becomes noise because he is so hard and he uh, does crack the whip. And, you know, Zach Randolph famously called him Sarge because he would have practices after back-to-backs. Uh, you know, he he wanted to work out the the kinks in the team. He he was not a very big uh, player first coach as far as you know giving guys rest or or giving them leeway. He was very had his finger on on the team. So that's why Zach called him Sarge uh, after one game because they had practice after a back to back. So. Uh, but sometimes that can wear thin on, on a team. And, and Nate is very conscious of that. It happened in Seattle and it ended up happening in Portland where his constant um, voice of discipline um, became noise. And uh, that's why I think he wants to come to a situation where he has some leadership and he has some talent where players can maybe police themselves. And it's not so much him always being the, the voice of, of discipline and reason. Okay, so he's had run-ins with, with players in the past. I mean, we've it's well-documented. Yeah. Uh, Andre Miller and him did not get along, which is interesting because we had Andre Miller in Sacramento, but maybe it's possible that we just had 39-year-old Andre Miller who was a lot different. Um, but what are well, your, your thoughts on his ability to relate to players and sort of the struggle that you have on a daily basis with the modern NBA player who is very much different than even a player from 10 years ago or eight years ago? Well, it's really interesting. I, uh, in Portland, I, I thought Nate was great as far as trying to create uh, a communicative culture. He had uh, the big three, as they were referred to here, Brandon Roy, 
LaMarcus Aldridge and Greg Oden, he would have them over to dinner and to talk about the dynamics of how is this going to work between you guys? Can you guys sacrifice? One of you is going to have to sacrifice. Who will it be? Are you guys going to be able to talk to each other? Uh, are you guys going to be able to be coached? He, he would get all that stuff out in the open, which I think is fabulous for an NBA coach to open that line of communication and to get them away from the practice facility and in his home and talking like real men. He, he had that connection and he had that uh, foresight to do that with the Blazers. His run-in with Andre Miller, and, and this is another, it, it's probably his biggest black eye of his coaching career. I think Nate is tremendously embarrassed by it. But it's a great thing for him because he immediately felt bad about it. And he went home after the, they had a blow up and it was in January of 2010. Basically the roots of it were uh, they were playing Memphis the night before and uh, Nate signaled from the bench to have Jared Bayless miss a free throw intentionally because the Blazers need a rebound. Well, Andre Miller walked up to Jared Bayless and said, don't miss it. If you make it, we can still win. I, I forget what the exact scenario was. But Nate felt like Andre went against his his orders. And Andre at the time was struggling with uh, Nate wanted to bring him off the bench because he felt it, it created a better balance, uh, even though Andre felt like he was a starter. And, and Andre probably should have been starting. But anyways, there was friction there. They come to practice, and uh, they have this huge blow-up. I'm in the media room. You can hear it through the walls. They're screaming at each other for 20 minutes. And, it, I mean, it is, it is brutal. They're swearing, cussing, very loud yelling. After the fact, Nate feels horrible. He hates, hated that it happened in that forum in front of the team. And just that the, the tempers reached that point to begin with. But he went home and he really reflected on it. And he, he took some ownership and said, you know what, I messed up. And he went and he apologized to Andre Miller. And it ended up, Andre and Nate ended up having a good relationship by the end of uh, that season. And Andre eventually made it back into the starting lineup, performed very, very well, uh, had a 50-point game later in the season. And so it, I think that says something about him as a coach that, hey, I'm not always right. I'm, you know, sometimes I screw up too. And I think it takes a big man to do that. And Nate was able to self-reflect and go back to the team and say, you know what, I messed up. I'm sorry. Let's let's fix this. You know, we, we need to handle that better and we need to be better moving forward. So he's not this rigid, uh, inflexible person that I think a lot of people view him as. Um, towards the end, you know, when he got run out of Portland, and I, I say that, Intentionally, he got run out by that group of players uh, in 2011. Um, they they quit on him, and they felt like he was not uh, imaginative enough in his offense. And I think that's probably the biggest criticism of Nate is that he was rather simplistic in his offense and uh, predictable and didn't make adjustments. And you know, I don't know. I'm not a great X's and O guy, but I, I felt like he always kind of did what a lot of NBA coaches did. He took his best player and he maximized his system around that player to get the best out of that player. His best player was, was 
Brandon Roy for years. So he ran a ton of pick and rolls, ton of isolations with Brandon. And Brandon was one of the best shooting guards in the NBA. Mm-hmm. When he had Zach Randolph, you know, he threw it in, and people hated the offense. It was slow, it was plotting. But Zach Randolph averaged 23 and 10. He was the only player in the NBA that year to average 20 and 10. So he maximized his best player. I think he's very uh, smart in doing that. Um, but towards that end, that it, it was a really ugly Indian in Portland. I mean, they, they had a, a group of veterans who uh, just didn't respond to him. Marcus Camby, Gerald Wallace, Raymond Felton, Jamal Crawford. Uh, they tuned him out and they felt like he wasn't uh, maximizing their talents, and uh, particularly offensively. So they tuned him out. They had a bunch of 30-point losses, and, and the team had to let him go. And it was, it was really sad, I thought. Okay, so you bring up the offensive issues that, that he had as, as a coach with Portland, and just the, the slow plotting pace, that's something that when you read about him, it's a lot focused on his inability to – maybe play the modern running-gun style in the NBA. But he took a year off. He did a lot of traveling. Um, then he comes he comes back, and he, he does sort of a mini-tour where he's going and visiting coaches, which I think is the most brilliant thing that's happening right now. Michael Malone went and vid- uh, visited with Flip Saunders for a while after he was let go by the Kings. I know Thibodeau was a was a force all year long. He was, I think he hit 10 different clubs where he was actually making input and, and, you know, working more as a consultant. But Nate did this too. Do you think that he's picked up enough between that experience and then going and working with Frank Vogel in Indiana that maybe his ideology has developed and advanced where he may be ready to step back in into this NBA where your pace has to be, you know, at a certain point in order to just compete with teams like Golden State or San Antonio? Or do you think we're going to see the same style from him if he does make his way back into the league? No, I would imagine that Nate has evolved and, uh, you know, taken on more things throughout the years. And and keep in mind, too, he was, in a way, a little bit ahead of the curve uh, in Portland around 2008, around 2009, he, he started using the stretch four before it was in vogue. He turned, uh, Travis outlaw into a stretch four, played him at, at four and it really gave teams fits. And it really, you know, it got Travis a pretty nice contract. Uh, but so he was a little bit ahead of the curve in that respect. So I, you know, I don't think he should be painted as this dinosaur, um, even though his his offense back then was more um, half court and and pick and roll oriented, I, I think he's open to new ideas. Uh, and uh, again, I think it it depends on what his roster is. I think he looks at his roster and goes, "What's the best way to get the most out of out of these players?" So, um, but I'm sure, like any coach, he's always trying to learn. I I haven't talked to him much about his philosophy lately every time I see him it's just you know hey how you doing Um, but I'm sure he's picked up things along the way and uh, is looking to evolve okay so I hate the word retreads and it's something that I think each individual coach there are retreads in the NBA I mean clearly 
We've seen guys that just keep coming in. They last two or three years. You just had one. <laughs> yeah, and they fail. Um, I, you know, I think you could look at George as a retread, but you could also look at George as a really, really successful coach who burns his bridges after sure. seven or eight years and has to move on. Yeah. And the guy that I always look at is Rick Adelman. You could have considered Rick Adelman a retread uh, when the Kings hired him. He had just been fired after two very unsuccessful years in Golden State. Um, after his time in Portland, he was great. Then his time in Golden State, he wasn't so good. He picks up in Sacramento, and it's just this golden age of Kings basketball for eight seasons. I think he did great work in Houston afterwards, and then his work in Minnesota You know, with a, with a bad team and, and lack of payroll and all that stuff. It, so you could look at some guys as retreads and some guys as not. But with Nate, he really didn't bounce around. He went to Seattle and, and built their program and then left in a very strange way. But then he goes to Portland and he builds their program again. He has a couple of 50-win seasons. Even when he was let go, they were like 20 and 23 on the season, which isn't that horrible. And so I'm wondering, would you consider him a retread or do you think he's a guy – who could come to Sacramento, he's only 51 years old, almost 52, but he could come to Sacramento and maybe be a coach that's in Sacramento for a decade or more. Yeah, no, I don't view him as a retread uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And I think he is a guy that could anchor your organization. I mean, he has uh, fantastic morals. He's a hard worker. He stands for the right things. Uh, you know, he's the type of – type of guy that you could see anchoring an organization, um, you know, but again, it, I think it has to come down to philosophy and where they're at. You know, I think Nate's made it clear that he's not just going to take any job that's out there. It has to be the right fit for him and the right type of personnel for him. All right, so I, I want to finish up with one last question. Uh, I don't want to keep you all day. You're a busy man. You're covering the playoffs still while they last for you. Um, but you had a quote from Lance Stevenson in a piece that you wrote where Lance Stevenson talked about the way that Nate was in his ear right before game time, how he calmed him down. He, he helped get him ready and focused for games. Is that something that you think he can bring to the table that he is a, I don't know, uh, a whisperer of sorts for for the player that has maybe issues in the past, like a DeMarcus Cousins, where you know he hasn't always respected his coach. But if you reach some of these guys the right way, is Nate the guy that can reach people the right way and can kind of help put someone on the straight and narrow going forward? I think so. And, you know, as I kind of touched on earlier, I think one of his strengths is his communication skills. He likes bringing players in and talking to them and finding out where they're at and where he can help. Um, he is a very open-door policy coach. And I, I saw him take the initiative to to stir up conversation and to find out where players are. A lot of times coaches just will wait for a player to come to them if there's an issue. But I think Nate takes the initiative, and I think that's half the battle in the NBA. These guys want to know that you care. And uh, and I, I think Nate continually shows that, hey, I, I'm here beyond me. This, this is about you. How can we make this the best thing for you? I, I saw that continually 
throughout his tenure in Portland. It sounds like he would be a really good fit for Sacramento if he was willing to take the job. I think so, yeah. You know, it, it would be uh, interesting to see how he uh, would get along with, with DeMarcus Cousins. You know, he's dealt with Darius Miles. He's dealt with uh, Zach Randolph. And, you know, with Zach, at least he, he got Zach to play. Zach played hard for him and, and performed well for him. Um, so, you know, there, there's no personality that's going to intimidate or, uh, you know, roll over on Nate McMillan. I mean, he's, he's a strong man, and uh, he's a strong presence in an organization. So uh, I, I think it could be a good fit, yeah. All right, there it is. Jason Quick of CSN Northwest on Nate McMillan, thanks for joining us. Thanks, James.